Finding the Awesome in the Awkward. You could type subtitle it The Miracle in the Manger, if you like. So um, it's an interesting thing when you find something that you weren't expecting. Have anybody of you, any of you found something uh, really amazing or wonderful or good where in a place where you wouldn't have expected it? I found a £20 note last year when Penny and I were out walking on holiday. Was it last year? It was, wasn't it, Pen? Up in, um, it was this year in Essex. That's right. We were walking across a field of stubble and there was a £20 note. That was rather nice. Uh, what else? Um, so I was going up into the attic to put away something. And the attic is, is usually really messy and full of things that we can't part with, but we don't actually really need anymore. Really? No, that you can't part with. <laughs> um, and I saw something hanging from one of the beams and I thought, what's that? So I went and, and just gently took it down and it was the beginnings of a wasp's nest. And as I, as I looked inside, there was no wasps, thankfully. Um, but as I looked inside, the intricacy of, of the, all the shapes and the way it was, was, had been started to be formed was absolutely stunning. And I took it down to, to show the, the family and then I took it in to show my class as well because it was just so beautiful um, and so delicate. But but yeah, so that was a nice surprise. Is that Patricia or Simon? You found a beautiful ring on the floor in Hyde Park. Wow, nice, lovely. Any other examples anybody would like to share? Yeah, I'd like to share something. Um, about three or four years ago, I needed to go to Germany with my mother to help uh, tidy up her sister's flat because she'd just moved into a, an old people's home. And um, my, my aunt had been living in the uh, flat that my grandmother had been living in before, uh, before she died. And um, when my mother had grown up, there was, um, she had felt like she never really understood her father's family because her mother was a very dominant character and so was her paternal mother. And so, and so she always knew all about those families but never really about her father's family. And as we were tidying up this flat, there were, there were two bin liners in a corner of a room that was transparent bin liners. I can see they were full of paper that had been thrown away but never thrown out. And as we went, looked through them, it was full of letters and diaries of her father's family from you know that had just never been thrown out they'd just been put in this bin line and never thrown out and and we spent this weekend in this hotel in germany going through all these amazing documents um uh, that really helped my mum, but it was really eye-opening for me as well about her own father's family which is amazing but it was all found in a bin liner Wow, you never know. It's like Count Tischendorf, wasn't it, who found the Codex Sinaiticus in, in, they were burning it in a monastery. And he just found it. They were burning this third, fourth century manuscript of the Bible. And you never know what you're going to come across. We're all searching for something, right? Every, I mean, the world is always searching for something. There's always some searching going on. And uh, what, what do you think about uh, this year? So I have here with me a document. The uh, top Google searches in 2020 in the UK. This is in the UK, Jim. Sorry, not in the States. Okay, but in the UK, top Google searches in 2020. Now, let me ask you what you think is, so uh, the first list is how to. So people type in how to and then something. 
So what do you think would be in the top, what have I got here, the top 10? Okay, what do you think might be in the top 10 of how-to searches in the UK in 2020? What do you reckon? Diagnose COVID, says Leona Serrett. Uh-huh, okay. With uh, using Zoom. Things about using Zoom, you could imagine, yeah. Uh, making sourdough, Leona Serrett, okay. What else we got? How to avoid quarantine. <laughs> yes. Okay. Making a mask. How to make a mask. How to, right? How to. Any more? How to get a six pack. No, that's just you, Danny. That's just you. Uh, how to visit Barnard Castle. How to feel less anxious. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Any others? How to deal with loneliness, maybe. How to avoid it or how to deal with it. Yeah. Okay. Any more? For any more. And I'll give you the top 10 from 10 to 1. How to get a job today. Yeah. A lot of us can relate to that. Okay, here you go. Number 10, how to treat coronavirus. Number 9, how to self-isolate. Number 8, how to boost the immune system. Number 7, how to cut men's hair. Mm-hmm. Number six, and I have no idea why this is in here, but number six, well, actually, I do know. I'll tell you later. How to cook eel. Yes, yes. Number six, how to cook eel. Now, there's a story to that, which I'll tell you a bit more about in a minute. Number five, how to cut your own hair. Number four, how to get tested for coronavirus. Number three, how to make bread. Number two, how to make hand sanitizer. And number one, how to make a face mask. Right, so those are your how-tos. All right, a couple more. Let's do recipes. All right, top 10 recipes searched for in the UK 2020. What do you think? Top 10 recipes. What do you reckon? Somebody's got bread in here already. Uh, what did people want to learn how to make in 2020? What do you think? Muffins, cupcakes, cookies. Yeah, banana bread. Mmm, very nice. Vegan meals. Yeah, I bet. I guess that's true. Beef roast. Tunde. Is that no? That's just again. That's just you. Uh, vegan food. One pot dishes. Mmm, simple, huh? Pasta. Yeah. Okay. Cooking it properly is a bit of an art. Scones or scones if you're from another part of the country. Uh, shepherd's pie. Mm, oh, I love a good shepherd's pie. How to make money online. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, re it's a recipe of a kind, isn't it? Uh, turkey. Ice lot is ice cream. It was hot, wasn't it, at times in the summer? Don't forget, it was warmer at some point earlier. How to make a microwave meal. Okay. All right. How to make toast. Okay. Fairly basic. All right. I'll give you the top 10. Number 10 is a soda bread recipe. Number nine, Ikea meatball recipe. Number eight, sourdough starter recipe. Number seven, Wagamama katsu curry recipe. Very specific. Number six, American pancakes recipe. Hey, Jim, there you go. You've invaded. Number five, white bread recipe. Number four, <laughs> number four, KFC recipe which I believe is a, is a secret, but oh well. Number three, 
I don't know what this means. Some some teacher will have to explain school cake recipe. What is a school cake? Does anybody know? I've never heard of a school cake. School cake recipe. Number two, beef bourguignon recipe. Nice. And the top recipe searched for in the UK in 2020 was bread. Bread recipe, as some of you guessed. I'll give you one more, just because it's fun. Ah, one more. Okay. Okay, top 10 when uh, when questions in Google this year. So when something. So people type in when and then something else. So what do you think of the top 10 when searches in uh, 2020? The first word is when, and then there's a question on the end of that when. So what do you think? When will McDonald's reopen, right? When will it all end, Pen? right? Okay. When will the lockdown end? When can I leave my house? <laughs> I like that, Leon and Sarah. When will school open? Yeah, a lot of parents were asking that earlier this year. When will lockdown end? Yes. When will coronavirus be over? When will we find a vaccine? Or when will a vaccine get be, be, be provided? When do I need to self-isolate, Gareth? Yeah. When will there be a vaccine? Yeah. Okay, when, when, when? Any more? I'll give you the top 10. When will this end? When will Boris disappear? <laughs> whiff, whaff, whiff, whaff. Okay. When will Trump concede? <laughs> That's a good one, Barry. Well, Jim, you got an answer to that? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's in your ballpark over there. I don't know. Uh, okay, number 10. When will hairdressers open? Number nine. <laughs> number nine. When does Love Island start? <laughs> oh, dear. <clears throat> Sometimes I'm embarrassed to be British. Uh, number eight. When will the new president be announced? Oh, okay. Number seven. When does Eat Out to Help Out end? Number six, when will the pubs reopen? Hmm. Number five, when does furlough end? Number four, when will schools reopen? Tunde, you were right about that one. Number three, when does lockdown start? Number two, when will gyms reopen? And number one, when will the lockdown end? Oh, my word. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, we're searching, right? We're searching for things. The world is searching for things. You and I search for things. And sometimes the things that we really need to find are not in the places we expect. Maybe like Luena's testimony. She never thought, I'm sure, that in coming to London, that uh, her life would take on the, the direction it did. She didn't know that God had a plan in that. She didn't know what that was going to look like. She didn't know that she was going to be introduced to Jesus. She didn't know the change that would have on her perspective on marriage and family. And I mean, I mean, I don't know about all of us on this call, but I am pretty sure that time and time again in life, what God has done is he has, he has shown us something wonderful in a place we did not expect it. And sometimes that's even through painful times, something good coming through a time of pain, something unexpected. And here, what we have in this passage is we have angels and we have shepherds. And of course, the shepherds were rather astonished by what happened as they weren't expecting to have a vision of angels in the middle of the night there whilst looking after the sheep. And perhaps the most unexpected thing of all in this passage, at least I would think from the shepherd's perspective, is that the angels, that's pretty strange, they appear and they announced something, which is the coming of the Messiah, which, of course, Israel had been expecting and hoping for, for for such a long time. 
And then they say, this new Messiah, who of course is king, they know that, the shepherds would know their history, they'd know, okay, if Messiah is coming, he's going to rescue his people, he's going to be a king. And they say, you're going to find the king in, and they will be thinking, eh, we're going to go find the king in the palace, we're going to go and talk to Herod, we're going to go and we're going to go to the temple, we're, we're going to go to the old palace of, of David or something, we, we, that's where we're going to go, right? The, where, where is this Messiah? And they say, you're going to find him in a manger. And I, I just have this vision of the shepherds looking at each other like, did, did the angel say what I thought the angel said? Did, did the angel really say manger? Like the thing, the thing that animals eat out of, the, the thing that's smelly, the thing that's in a, in a stable, the thing that's open to the elements a lot of the time, and not, not the palace, not the temple, but a manger. And the word manger in the passage we're looking at from verse 8 down to verse 20 appears three times. It's emphasized. It's deliberate. We're being pointed to a place that was never expected to be the place where God would come to this earth, where God would provide the Messiah, where God would give us hope, this good news to all, all of humankind. He points to the manger. The text points to the manger saying, look at that manger. Now the point is ultimately not the manger. The point is ultimately what is or who is in the manger. And it tells us so much about the mission of Jesus and about the heart of God that he would come to and be in and be born in a manger. You see, at this time, uh, Augustus was the uh, emperor at the time. And let me tell you a thing, something about Augustus uh, as a contrast to this king we're talking about. And this comes from uh, N.T. Wright's commentary on this passage. He says this, Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He became sole ruler of the Roman world after a bloody civil war in which he overpowered all rival claimants. The last to be destroyed was the famous Mark Antony, who committed suicide not long after his defeat at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC. Augustus turned the great Roman Republic, which is sort of partially democratic, sort of certainly fairly flat in its uh, hierarchy, he, he turned that republic into an empire with himself at the head. So he's now the emperor. He's at the head of the empire. Uh, he proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world. I think many people might have disputed that, but that was his claim. I have brought justice. I brought peace to the whole world. And declaring his dead adoptive father to be divine, styled himself as a son of God. This is Augustus. I am a son of God. Poets wrote songs about the new era that had begun. Historians told the long story of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its climax, obviously, with Augustus himself. Augustus, people said, was the saviour of the world. These themes sounding familiar? The saviour of the world. He was its king, its lord. Increasingly, in the eastern part of the empire, people worshipped him, too, as a god. So this is the context for the birth of Jesus. We've got Augustus, son of God, saviour of the world, bringer of peace to the whole world, being worshipped. And the angels say, a rival king has arrived, the king, the ultimate king, and you're going to find him in a manger. It tells us pretty much all we need to know about the nature of this king, about the heart of this king, about the attitude of this king towards his subjects. Very different from Augustus born 
awesomely awesome an awesome awesome presence in this world the awesome in an awkward place at an awkward time so what are the responses so let me mention two brief two responses briefly and then we'll go into our rooms to have a, a conversation a discussion about this the first thing we see is the response of the shepherds here two responses from the shepherds of the uh their response of the awkward in the awesome or the awesome in the awkward the first is that fear turns into joy fear turns into joy that's what we see first they are terrified when the angels appear or the angel appears to give them the news and the angel says don't be afraid i think it's perfectly understandable that they're afraid <laughs> i think you and i would be it's a bit like going to some massive loud concert imagine the loudest concert you've ever been to i, I can remember some rock concerts where i think i damaged my hearing but you've got you got the angel and then that's reminding them of, of exodus 19 uh, with the great host of heaven when God uh, descended on the mountain and gave them the covenant. I mean, this is the terrifying sight and scene of God coming to his people. It's actually quite terrifying. And this whole heavenly host arrive and they start singing, praising God. And then they go back into heaven. And what happens is that they they worship. They, they're excited. They say, let's go see. Let's go, ahead, go off to Bethlehem and see what has happened, what the Lord has told us about. And they are filled with joy. They rush off, they run off, and they tell everybody about it. There's great joy. So part of part of the part of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, part of it is growing in joy, growing in understanding why we have reasons to rejoice, even though sometimes what God allows into our lives is a, is fear-inducing, very disturbing, and we can all relate to that. This last uh, few months. Many things have been very challenging, and uh, no denying that. I'm not trying to uh, be shallow about that. It's it's been a terrifying time for so many people. But one of the wonderful things about knowing Jesus is that we can find joy even in the desperate times. Have you read Jonah's prayer recently in Jonah chapter two? We won't look at it now. You might want to this week. Have a look at it. He's in the belly of a fish underwater, having been thrown off the, the boat. He's been swallowed by a fish. He's got no hope of rescue. He's in that stinky, dark, horrible place. And if you read Jonah 2 and his prayer, you will find that he's been sobered, but he is full of joy. It's astonishing how much joy he has considering his circumstances. This is one of the wonderful things about knowing God. We can have joy no matter our circumstances, but it doesn't come, it doesn't come when uh, by, by automatically just because we've become a Christian. It comes because we consciously connect with God and learn how to connect with the presence of God so that the presence of God becomes more and more real to us as the Christian life goes on. So that I pray that now after 10, 20, 30 years as a Christian, I pray that I'm more aware of the presence of God as a consistent thing in my life than I was, say, 10, 20 years ago. And I hope that will be true for you. As each year goes by, it's not like we become sort of perfect or something, but we learn better how to discern and experience and notice the presence of God with us. Spiritual disciplines are a key part of that. I'd like to encourage us to, between now and the end of the year, do something I'm planning to do, which is to take a bit of a spiritual inventory uh, for yourself. What I mean by that is like spiritual devotional inventory. In other words, what we call our t quiet times, which is just a phrase, our times of quiet, our times of devotional time with God, when we are consciously attempting to connect with God in such a way that it's meaningful, What's what's the progress and growth of that been like for you, say, in the last 12 months? How's that been? And I say this not to, you know, hopefully make us feel sort of guilty or something, because 
I don't know about you, but as a Christian, one of the easiest way to make me feel guilty is someone to say, how's your prayer life? And uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, I know my prayer life is never perfect, but that's not the point. It's about the, tr- the, the progress over time. Have you been making, do you feel, not by somebody else's standard, but by what you feel you, you want to see in your relationship with God? Has it been deepening? Has it been growing? Has it become more of a thing that you can be, you know, is a, a, a consistent experience? One of the tools you might like to use that some people use is a thing called the examine, which I won't explain here, but you can Google it or uh, I'll tell you about it another time. You might want to use the examine. You can do that as a daily thing or as a, a, a thing you use every now and again. And I've recorded a podcast on this, which goes out on my Quiet Time coaching podcast on Christmas Eve. It'll go live then. I recorded it last week. Um, And it's one of those tools you can just use to get a kind of spiritual inventory for yourself. So that'll go live on the 24th if you want to uh, uh, listen to it, if that's helpful. Or if you'd like to get it before it goes officially live, I will send it to you if you want. Just drop me a line and I'll, I'll send it to you. But it's just one of that, you know, one of those things to do is to say, let me take some time with God to ask myself with him, am I deepening? Am I growing? Are we closer? Am I more aware of you than I was before? The fear can turn into joy and it does for the shepherds. And so they rush off, off they go down to, uh, down to Bethlehem and they go to find uh, Jesus and Mary uh, there and uh, they're very excited about it. And they run down there. And then it says when they'd seen everything, it says they spread the word. So our second simple point is that when you find the awesome in the awkward, you find that confusion turns into talking. Confusion turns into talking, turns into sharing, turns into spreading, you could say. What made them so talkative? I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're shepherds and they go down there and they see everything. They, They could treasure everything up in their own hearts if they wanted to, but it doesn't say that. It says that they... They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it, all the people they told, were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. One of the things about the Christian life is that hopefully, prayerfully, we all get, we all get better at or find it more comfortable talking to other people about Jesus as we go through the Christian life. I remember Loena when you... Um, were sharing your testimony. It, it reminded me of when I first came along to church at that time, uh, a long time ago now, and found men of faith who could teach me about what it meant to be a man of faith. And I was so grateful for those who taught me that from the scriptures. And and I uh, and, and Penny and I were engaged at the time, and it was just the most natural thing to tell Penny about it. It's not like any, and no one told me to tell her. In fact, I didn't tell anybody I'd told her. In fact, no one knew until I'd already done half the Bible studies with her without telling anybody because I didn't know I was meant to tell anybody and no one told me to tell anybody. Her, so what, what did I know? But it just seemed like the most natural thing to tell Penny everything I was learning. And in those days, it being the 1980s, uh, prehistory for many of you here, uh, it, it was a time when uh, we weren't doing it on Zoom. Let's just put it that way. And uh, we were both skint, so we didn't spend much time on the telephone, which was jolly expensive in those days, uh, like a landline. You know, do you remember land, landlines? And uh, so it was letters mostly. So I'd write a letter about the word study and post it off to Penny. And then she'd read it and study it. And then if we had enough money, she'd ring me and we'd talk it through. And I, I, it just was the most natural thing. And one of the things that disappoints me for myself 
is is how that is not always the case with me when I'm with friends and with people I know that I don't find it so natural just to tell them about something that is so meaningful to me. And hearing you share, Luena, reminds me, it was refreshing me to think, no, it's got to be more natural. It's got to be more just, I've seen this. It's not just something I believe in. I've seen what God has done. Like these shepherds saw the king in the manger and they said, this is mind-blowing. This is more important than anything anybody searched on Google this year. Let me, let me just tell some people. And they did. So confusion turns into talking. So I wonder for myself, and perhaps it's worth all of us thinking about, who might God be preparing you and I to have a conversation with about Jesus at Christmas? One of our neighbours, one of our friends, a family member we'll see during this time. Who might it be and how can I prepare myself to be ready to just talk naturally about, about this king in a manger? So those are the two brief thoughts I want to mention. Uh, confusion turns into talking and fear turns into joy. And then now we're going to go into breakout rooms to have a discussion. And I'm going to, I'm going to pop uh, some questions into the chat box as well. And the questions are essentially, let me tell you what they are, and then we'll do it in our, in our rooms. It's just to talk about something in your Christian life which perhaps provoked fear in you but led to joy. So perhaps there's been an experience where you've been uh, fearful but then it's pr progressed into joy. What have you been afraid of that turned out to be a blessing? Maybe something like that. And secondly, another question you could discuss is talking about a time when talking about Jesus came naturally to you. What was it like that time when you found yourself talking to, about Jesus and and it was a natural thing? It wasn't something you had to really sort of gee yourself up to do, you know? You, you didn't have to force yourself or drink three cups of coffee and, all right, now am I going to do this? You, it, just, it just came naturally. As it, was there a time like that? What was it like? What was going on? The thought for me that, that we can take from what we've been talking about today from Luke chapter 2 into our time of reflecting on, on the cross is that Jesus, in a sense, began as he ended. He, end, he began in vulnerability. He began in need. He began in humility. He began, in some ways, in um, unappreciated, you could say. And then he ended in a similar way. He was crucified, unappreciated, by the vast majority of humankind. And even today, you could say that's still the case. He was born in a humble position, and he died humbly exposed uh, in, in dreadful agony on a cross. And his mother, of course, was at both events. Both events. She was there, of course, at his birth. But she was there at his death. And so we, we journey through the Christian life, being born again by what Christ has done for us, and then we're with him at the end forever. And it's because of the cross, it makes it all worthwhile. Theologians broadly divide into two groups those who think the incarnation is the most significant thing that ever happened and those who think that the death and resurrection are the most significant thing that ever happened i don't know that we have to choose between those events but without one we don't get the other without the incarnation we don't get the cross and the resurrection and without the cross and the resurrection the incarnation has no meaning but praise be to god we have not only the presence of christ with us but we have the power of christ with us and so we take bread and wine to remind us, remind us of the presence and the love and the imminence of God with us. 
and to take the bread and wine because it symbolizes not only his death, his sacrifice, but also the power of the resurrection. How fortunate we are to have this kind of amazing, loving, powerful God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for that day, that day when the when the shepherds went out with their sheep, they were on the hills minding their own business and not expecting anything particularly significant. And then then the, the skies opened, the the angel appeared announcing good news for all of humankind. And we thank you that they heard that angelic chorus of choir a choir of praise. And we thank you that they took them seriously and went down to Bethlehem and saw what amazed them, the awesome in the awkward, the the miracle in the manger. Father, we pray that like them, we too would rejoice over what you have done. We too would be amazed and we too would find it natural to tell others about you and what you've done. Father, fill us with a desire to uh, praise you and to tell us about you. Give us faith for that and courage. Help us as we take bread and wine to be refreshed once again, just one more time, refreshed for the days ahead, knowing that Jesus died willingly for us, us who, who with, <laughs> without any doubt don't deserve it, God. And yet, because we're chosen and loved, we get to share in the clear conscience and the forgiveness of sins and the confidence of knowing that we are going to be with you forever and ever. Thank you for Jesus' broken body represented by the bread. Thank you for his shed blood represented by the wine. And we take these together as a community of faith, rejoicing, rejoicing for and because of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>